So this is the fourth and final week of our July sermon series, The Bible on Broadway. We've been exploring the theology to be found in some of the biggest Broadway hits of all time. Uh, in week one, we talked about Jesus Christ Superstar, which raises the question of who Jesus is to each of us as his disciples. In week two, uh, with West Side Story as our backdrop, we talked about how of all the groups that we claim as our own, our identity as Christians has to be the most important one. And then last week, we talked about the importance of forgiveness through the lens of the musical Wicked. Those sermons are on the website if you missed any of them and would like to get caught up. We're wrapping up the series today with a show uh, that may not immediately come to mind as a Broadway show. You may not immediately associate it with Broadway. If I mention the title Frozen, uh, some stereotypes might jump immediately to mind. For example, you might think it's just a princess movie, uh, which it obviously is, of course. It's one of the most commercially successful animated movies in history, as it turns out. The original and uh, the sequel occupied the number three and number two spots, respectively, on the list of top-grossing animated movies of all time. Combined, they have made uh, more than $2.7 billion at the box office. The, the sequel actually out-earned the original, and both of them are only surpassed by the 2019 remake of The Lion King. So uh, it is certainly a spectacularly successful princess movie. When I say Frozen, you might think of, of young girls belting out the power ballad when it's played with young boys sometimes rolling their eyes and covering their ears. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, that's how I remember it anyway when it was played at various elementary school assemblies that I attended with my two boys since the movie came out in 2013. Um, and we're certainly going to come back to the power ballad later, but I wanted to say here that I love the music from Frozen, uh, and the Frozen sing-alongs that I've attended at Disney World have had the adults singing just as loudly as the kids, in some cases more so. When I say Frozen, you might also think of yet another iconic performance by Adina Menzel. Uh, this one's at the Oscars. She's one of the most recognizable voices of her generation. On Broadway, Menzel played the original Maureen in Rent. She played the original Elphaba in Wicked, as we talked about last week. But it was her role in the movie version of Frozen that truly made her uh, an international phenomenon. And in my opinion, made it almost impossible for anyone to try to uh, perform the role live on Broadway. But of course, that did not keep Disney from making it into a Broadway musical anyway. Uh, Frozen the Musical debuted on Broadway five years after the movie. The pandemic uh, interrupted its initial trajectory shutting the show down in New York after 825 performances and derailing the U.S. tour just a few months after its November 2019 launch. But it's back, and you may know that it's actually uh, running down at Fair Park right now. The musical basically follows the plot of the movie with just a few more songs. If you have somehow, somehow never seen it, here's what you need to know for our purposes today. Two sisters are princesses in the imaginary Scandinavian-ish country of uh, Arendelle, an imaginary one. The older sister, Elsa, has the magical power to create ice and snow. It's a power that her parents try to hide and that she struggles to control. When she accidentally hurts her little sister, Anna, the pronunciation is very important, I get corrected whenever I say Anna, it's Anna, their parents take uh, the girls to the aid, to seek the aid of the leader of 
magical forest-dwelling creatures, so just stay with me here if you've never seen it. Um, that's him. He heals Anna and erases her memories of the accident, but tells the family that the magic will always be part of Elsa, and he shows them a vision that scares Elsa, making her frightened of her own power. So their parents isolate the girls in the castle. And what's more, Elsa shuts herself off from her sister, fearing that she'll accidentally hurt her again or worse. And so the parents set sail from the kingdom of Arendelle to find a cure for Elsa, but they are killed in a storm at sea, thus orphaning their daughters, because of course, this is a Disney movie and parents never fare very well in Disney movies. Elsa struggles to understand what what her magic means and how she can control it. Anna struggles with her isolation from her sister, made worse, of course, by their parents' deaths. So yes, it's a princess movie. Um, Yes, it's uh, a cartoon and then this big Broadway production, but it's actually a pretty emotionally complex story that, like all the musicals that we're talking about in this series, explores these big, important themes. So we'll get back to Arendelle shortly. Uh, We need to read the Bible now. We're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians today, exploring a a famous metaphor that Paul gives us um, and that he offers in detail in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read verses 12 to 26 now, and then we'll come back and read the rest later. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the Apostle Paul. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. After the deaths of their parents, Elsa and Anna spend years isolated from each other and isolated from the world. The day Elsa comes of age, there's a, there's a great celebration as, for the first time in forever, the castle gates are open and Elsa assumes the throne. But then, in a conflict with her sister, Elsa accidentally reveals her power. 
The people of the kingdom react in horror, accusing her of being a witch. Elsa flees to the North Mountain. This is her castle that she creates in the North Mountain. While back in Arendelle, the, the kingdom has become trapped in an eternal winter because of Elsa's inability to control her power. Now, there are lots of other plot points in the movie and in the musical. Anna's love interest, who provides uh, an excellent plot twist near the end of the story. A talking magical snowman created by Elsa, who provides both comic relief and some popular taglines. I like warm hugs. A charismatic reindeer and his sidekick, Kristoff, who provide more comic relief as well as examples of healthy friendships. But at its core, Frozen is a story about rejection and then acceptance, about the love between two sisters. And to our, to our theological point for today, it's about how each of the gifts that each of us brings to the community are vital to the community's well-being, which of course is the point that Paul is making to the Corinthians. Last week, we talked about how the church in Corinth was, was kind of a mess. There were examples of people who really struggled to live out their faith. So consequently, Paul wrote at least four letters to the church that he founded, two of which ended up in our New Testament. He returned there multiple times, trying to help them grow in their faith, trying to help them outgrow their bad behavior, trying to introduce them to newcomers. And yet, even still, Despite all their problems, despite all their shortcomings, despite all the understandable aggravation that he must have felt as their founding pastor, in the opening verse of the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul still refers to them as those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. He still calls them saints. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he calls them all the saints. And in this famous 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he makes he makes clear that despite their imperfections, despite their shortcomings, despite all the trouble they kept getting themselves into, each of them is, is essential to the community of faith. I love this chapter of 1 Corinthians because Paul is so adamant of this basic theological point that we get reminded of over and over again in the New Testament that every one of us is important to the church. I mean, we often speak of, of the church as the body of Christ in the world, kind of broadly speaking, but here Paul gets more specific using the metaphor of each of us as a particular part of the body. No matter how minor a role we think we play in the church, Paul makes clear that it is essential no matter how long we've been around, no matter how experienced we may be, no matter how limited we may think we are, each of us has an essential role to play in the life of the church, just like every part of the body has an essential role to play for the body. The art of Christian living then, specifically Christian living in the context of a community of faith, is, is first to figure out what gift it is that we bring, second to embrace that gift, and third to share that gift with the congregation. Now in Frozen, the subject is not spiritual gifts per se. But Elsa does have a gift. She struggles with this magic that she possesses. In her case, um, the people initially reject her. And while everything works out in the end, of course, since this is a, a Disney production, <laughs> she has to run away and figure out some things at first. And it's during this, this period of exile that she sings one of the great Disney ballads of all time. 
In a few minutes, Angie's going to sing the soaring, uh, iconic anthem from Frozen. It's a song uh, that at this point is almost a stereotype for some people. You know, there, there are some people who just roll their eyes when it comes on. There, there are people who think it's just a kind of an over-the-top, sappy, big musical number. But, I mean, you know what I have to say to those people and to that, sent, set, that sentiment, right? Let it go. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of eye rolling, my wife is rolling her eyes at me right now. <laughs> it's the winner of the best uh, original song in the Oscars. It's the winner of the Grammys for best song written for visual media. And it's a song about a lot of things. It's a song about emerging from a period of self-doubt. And I'm not sure anybody, uh, of anybody who has never had a period of self-doubt. It's a song about facing our fears and our insecurities. We all have those from time to time in our lives. It's a song about uh, empowerment and claiming our identity, which all of us need. It's a song about overcoming what used to limit us and embracing who we are as we face the future. It's a, it's a terrific song, in addition to being incredibly catchy. But after Elsa sings it, there's still this crisis to be resolved back in Arendelle, which we'll get back to shortly. Um, but first, let's finish the text. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church uh, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, and he, and, uh, grammatically speaking in the Greek, that's a question that assumes the answer is no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he launches right into that famous 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians where he talks about how the greatest gift of lo is love. The greatest um, of these is love, he says, the most excellent way is love. Now, in the end, of course, Elsa learns to embrace and control her gift through love, as it turns out, the most excellent way for Paul. She, she learns how to use it for the good of her community, otherwise there would not have been a sequel. Anna, as it turns out, has the gift of true love for and commitment to her sister, uh, which is what helps Elsa find her way. Olaf, Kristoff, Sven, they all play critical, role, critical roles in saving the day. And, and for me, while the creators of the, of the story did not intentionally write it this way, Frozen turns out to be really a wonderful metaphor for the theological truth that Paul gives us in his 12th chapter, that all of us are important in the body of Christ. It was a subject that came up this past week at children's camp. So this past week, Meredith and I were with 10 kids from Christ United at children's camp at Bridgeport Camp and Conference Center. It's the, the Methodist camp for the North Texas Conference down at Bridgeport. I've been going to Bridgeport with children and youth for almost 20 years, and I've been to every children's camp that my own two boys have attended. Bridgeport is one of my very favorite places in the world. 
in various retreats throughout the year. Uh, children and youth had the chance to, to learn Methodist theology and to study scripture and to hang out with other kids from other churches all over the North Texas Conference. And if you go there as a volunteer, uh, you get to help lead small groups, which I got to do this past week. And the theme on Wednesday, as it turns out, was created to be in community. Coincidental, since I was preaching on that this week. We read the story of Pentecost, and we talked about how such a, a diverse group of people from all over the world with, with diverse gifts all gathered together in Jerusalem, and by the power of the Holy Spirit became the earliest church. And one of the hands-on activities to demonstrate um, the importance of community was experimenting with something called an energy rod. I, I had never seen an energy rod. I don't know if you guys have ever seen them. Um, I didn't know such a thing existed until we pulled it out of the resource bucket for that particular lesson. So the idea is when you grab an energy rod on each, uh, each contact, it lights up and it makes this really fun sound like a siren. But uh, if you hand it to another person with their hand on one of the contacts and your hand on the other contact, nothing happens uh, because it requires a closed human circuit. And so when I held it, along with the other group leader, we had to join hands with the 15 kids around the circle in the room. And when we closed the loop, the energy rod lit up and it made this really cool noise. And it was a room full of 11-year-olds. So then we spent about 10 minutes with letting go and then grabbing a hold and then letting go and then grabbing a hold. <laughs> because if one person let go and dropped out of the loop, the energy was gone. That is a terrific illustration to a group of kids and big kids learning how to be disciples of Jesus that every single one of them are important to the community of faith. Everyone has important gifts to share without which the body of Christ would be incomplete. Which is at least part of the message of Frozen. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is be like Elsa, and Anna, and Kristoff, and Sven, and Olaf. First, by figuring out what unique gift you have to share with your community of faith. We've all got one. We all have many, but we typically have one in particular that we can share with our community of faith. And if you're not sure what yours is, you can just pay attention to the people in your life who probably know what it is. Your family, your friends, especially your pastors. <laughs> if your pastor says, you would make a great usher, would you like to be an usher? Then the response is, yeah, I would love to be an usher. That's a great idea. It's the way the Holy Spirit speaks to us, you see. <laughs> if you have the gift of, of teaching, we have lots of opportunities to teach. If you're good at construction, oh my goodness, we're constantly building something in the community for someone in need. If you have any kind of musical ability at all, Ben would love to get to know you soon, because the choir comes back next week. If you love to cook, our care ministries deliver meals to those who are going through a rough patch. Our youth ministries feed teenagers every week, and they eat a lot, so we could certainly use, could use your gift. And as I already mentioned, if you've got the gift of hospitality, well, every week we have greeters and ushers who help welcome people to this particular community of the body of Christ. We have uh, communion servers every month. My point is, the list goes on and on and on of the, 
of the ways that we can share our gifts with the community of faith. And the key is first to figure out what your gift is, but then you can't stop there. Then you have to embrace that gift. You have to realize that God has uniquely blessed you to share that gift with the world and especially with your community of faith. And then finally, we remember that sharing our gifts with the church in particular is an essential part of our discipleship. It is an essential part of who we are as followers of Jesus that we share our gifts with the church. Whatever our gift is, we share it because we love our community of faith. And with back to school starting next week, there are countless opportunities to participate. This is the perfect time to start. Uh, in an interview with a magazine, this is a true story. Um, it was a few years back now. Adina Menzel told a story about a time when her young son, who was younger at the time, was bragging to his classmates about his mom. I mean, can you imagine being Adina Menzel's kid, especially when Frozen was just coming out in the movie theater? And he said, you know, to his friends, that, look, my mom's a, a big deal because uh, my mom sings the songs in Frozen, to which one of his friends said, so does everyone else's. <laughs> <laughs> And why not? Because if we, if we tilt our head the right way and we, and we listen just right, Frozen really is, I think, a great parable for Christian living. May each one of us be as bold as the characters in this truly all-time great story. Amen. <laughs>